Good night, Hagerstown. It is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. It is about 8 o'clock p.m. I am your host, Lance Gunner Wines, and this is yet another humble episode of Late Nights with Lance, Winchester's favorite and only late night talk show. But I'm not coming to you from Winchester. I'm not coming to you at all. Uh, but I am speaking here in Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh, and this is the very first episode of Late Nights with Lance, recorded, produced, made, whatever it is, here in Hagerstown. Um, and I'm a little nervous to be back. Usually I say it's good to be back. It certainly is. Um, but I haven't done this in a while. It's just like having sex, dude. I have, I'm going to have to relearn the strokes, learn different strokes for different folks. I'm going to have to get the mojo uh, back. I'm going to have to get the blood flowing uh, it's been a while since I've been in front of a microphone, uh, but I do look forward to this episode. Um, I know last season, this is going to be the start of a whole new season. It's a whole new chapter in my life. I know that I made a, a few promises about some episodes to make, some things I wanted to talk about, uh, and I certainly do intend to get to those, but I feel like in order to celebrate, commemorate, recognize uh, where we are, what we're doing it's time to put together a pretty big, entertaining episode for all you fine folks out there who have been waiting patiently uh, for a new episode of Late Nights with Lance. So this episode is going to be uh, what I consider sort of the, you know, you missed me, you got me. Um, it's going to be three weddings and a funeral is what I'm going to call it. It's not exactly what it's going to be about, but that's sort of the, uh, the gist, the mojo, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, this episode, I intend to go over the events of the Pooner Lapushner wedding, uh, followed with the Lado wedding, uh, which was a week after the Pooner Lapushner wedding. Then I'm going to get into the funeral aspect, a certain uh, viewing and someone I want to talk about and sort of my realizations uh, related to death, because uh, I certainly have a lot of those. And then the third wedding is actually more of a gender reveal uh, to get everyone up to speed, but I figure... Uh, two weddings, a funeral, and a gender reveal is not a catchy title, uh, so I'm going to go with three weddings and a funeral, which is uh, very similar to <laughs> uh, an episode I had about Medusa and all that good stuff back in the past. So I'm going to jump into this because uh, I don't want to keep anyone too long, and I say that as this episode will certainly be uh, a long one. It might even be a multiple-part episode, but I'm going to jump right into it. Um, for those who don't know, I currently do live in Hagerstown. I am working here in Hagerstown as an attorney. Who would have fucking thought, right? After failing the bar three times uh, and finally passing it on my fourth attempt in a different jurisdiction. Uh, I have three law licenses um, and one kick-ass office. I really love my job. Uh, I started January 11th of this year. It's hard to believe it's May 3rd already. Um, but the I guess it was the first or second weekend of... Whenever this, I don't even know when it was, honestly, at this point. Uh, it was sometime in early January uh, was when <laughs> was when we had uh, the Pooner wedding. And, I, you know, just a little bit about the people. And, and before I get into the story itself, you know, AP, um, Alex, she is one of my very best friends. We're very similar. You know, she is certainly the embodiment of certain parts of me that I love and other parts of me that I don't love so much. Um She's been there for me and with me through a whole lot of hell. She has seen the deepest, darkest, 
most evil, most atrocious, um, you know, most disgusting sides of me. She's seen a lot of bad Lance, uh, but she's certainly seen a lot of good Lance as well. She's seen sides of me, the positive sides of me that a lot of people don't get to see simply because they don't give me the opportunity to display them. Uh, she knows that, you know, we both have this in common. We love um, in an ugly way. We love in a very hands-on, literally and figuratively way, if you will, like a, a Maroon 5 hands-all-over uh, type of way. Um, and we're a little bit crazy. Uh, and by a little bit, I mean a lot. Uh, <laughs> and that's sort of our, you know, we have different philosophies on life. We have different philosophies on love. Uh, we certainly have a lot of the same innate, inherent desires, uh, but the way that we choose to act on those and physically portray them um, is where we differ. But she is certainly one of, if not my very best friend, um, and I wish I was in my office right now so I could tell you guys about this amazing Dave Matthews piece that she gave me. Uh, from It was a record store display from Dave's Some Devil solo album from 2003. It's matted, it's framed, it's just, it's amazing. But anyway, nonetheless... Uh, Alex is getting married, or, well, she's currently at this time married, uh, to a Mr. Eric LaPushner. Um, I'm not going to get into the intricacies of this relationship. Um, you know, it's like the movie Wedding Crashers. I'm sure that there's a backstory. We don't give a shit about that. We're going to the crashing part. Um, so I'm just going to hop, hop, skip, and jump into the story. And then where I need to, you guys know, I'll, I'll certainly uh, take breaks and elaborate on things. I go on these long tangents. Uh, but I'm excited to talk about this wedding. So the drive, right? Obviously nothing too crazy. I'm driving from Hagerstown, Maryland. Actually, I think that I took off, I might've taken off from Winchester for that particular event. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the 81 corridor, um, and I, I made the drive that I used to take to school, uh, back when I was in law school, back when I was happy, um, uh, back when I was loved. Uh, but <laughs> The drive is essentially, you know, you take 81 North uh, to exit four in Maryland, which takes you to Interstate 70. You take Interstate 70 all the way across uh, Maryland to 695, which is where it ends. Uh, you take 695 around Baltimore, and then you hop on Interstate 95 uh, all the way up into Delaware, uh, into like Newark, Delaware, Wilmington. Uh, and then you can either hit, I think it's 495 up there, um, or you can keep plowing, keep trucking through 95, get to Philadelphia. And then there's like a bunch of bridges that I don't really know the name of, nor do I really care to learn. Um, and then you're in New Jersey, which is like hell on earth. So it's pretty cool. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Uh, but just some, you know, highlights of the drive. Um, it's a great three and a half hour trip. Uh, and if you like to listen to your favorite podcast, whether it be late nights with Lance or ear biscuits or bourbon pursuit, any of those, it's a great way to uh, get caught up on those. If you like listening to Dave Matthews, three and a half hours can get you about, I don't know what, seven songs. If you play the right ones, um, which is kind of ridiculous that that's a true statement. Uh, but no, if you listen to the studio versions or certain live versions, you know, you can listen to a shit ton uh, a literal shit ton of Dave Matthews in three and a half hours. Or like I said, you could probably, you could play five or six versions of two step, uh, which are, you know, 20 to 30 minutes long. Um, and that'll get you there. So, you know, it depends what you're in the mood for. 
Uh, if you want instrumentals, you can probably get five or six Seven Day Matthew songs. If you actually want to listen and sing along, you can get a, a good amount. Um, so it's a great drive. You know, I, I love Interstate 70 because people drive fast as fuck, and, and I love to drive fast as fuck as well. Uh, it is one of my vices. I do have a lead foot, certainly. Um, and it's broken, too. It's a broken lead foot, uh, if you will. Because it was actually, I believe, still broken at the time. And it's just a great drive. It, you know, 695 is fine. I don't give a shit about traffic. It's just one of those things that I became a lot happier when I started to accept a few things about life, just a few truths. Uh, and, you know, one of those, the truths are, you know, you have to pay taxes. You're going to die eventually, inevitably. And there's going to be traffic on any road that ends in nine and five. So once you get through that, uh, you become a lot happier of a person. So I, I don't mind. I also do like the interchanges. I like the way that you have to go over through and around different bridges and highway pieces uh, to get to where you're going. And 95 is 95. You know, it, parts of it are um, four or five, maybe even six lanes when you first get on coming off of 695. Obviously, then it, it cuts down uh, before you get into Delaware, which then it spreads out again from two lanes up to, I think there are maybe six on 95 cutting from Newark to Wilmington, um, just on your side of the traffic, which is which is amazing. Um, highlights of the drive, you know, once I got into Delaware, once I was prepared to see Delaware, I made some really, you know, overtly and overly emotional Instagram, Facebook story about how I had left my heart in Delaware and I was coming to get it back, um, which of course is a another Ivy uh, reference, but this is not another Ivy episode, at least not yet. Um, but, you know, I made some corny, cheesy, beefy burrito comment uh, about <laughs> about how I left my heart in Delaware, which, you know, whatever. I say that whenever I go anyway. Um, I don't know if I necessarily left my heart there as much as I left my happiness there. Uh, but either way, I went and I retrieved my heart, uh, which I needed for this very loving event that was going to take place that weekend. And I almost gave my heart away again that weekend, but, you know, or rest in peace. Uh, anyway, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. So, you know, made that comment. And then I thought to myself, you know, self, and I do this all the time. You know, what would really be great um, is to stop at the, at the thrift store, right? I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better in the world to me than thrifting. It is certainly my favorite activity aside from sulking and self-pity, um, you know, and unsuccessful. Never mind. I'm not going to get into uh, that was going to be too, uh, too crass. I love thrifting, right? It, it's certainly a, a way to relieve some stress, spend some well-earned money that somehow I have uh, and find shit. And I think that it helps. It helps when you grow up poor um, and you then have the ability to buy things at the thrift store, uh, not out of necessity, but out of desire. Um, it's a good feeling. So I used to go to this Goodwill, the Goodwill, as I say, on Concord Pike, which is just past the Delaware Law School uh, into Pennsylvania. It's like as soon as you cross the Pennsylvania border uh, from Delaware to PA, it's like right there. Um, there are a number of weird shops. There was this Oriental rug store that Ivy always wanted to stop in for like three years. Uh, but we never stopped in there. Oriental Rug Store. Um, there is a, a woman's medical center there, OBGYN, all that good stuff. Uh, there's a storage unit on your right, which is where I kept all of my shit uh, between the summers. I think it was like summer 2018, 2019. 
storage unit across the street from that still on the right is a wawa uh if you go up a little bit further on the left is a car wash that i was just up there actually burnt down somehow um but <laughs> between january and um april of this year this car wash burned down uh so i'm it's unfortunate that i missed it but then again if you keep going up on your your right is the goodwill um, I spent a lot of time there. I got a lot of good shit there. My wingback chair, a classic, um, lots of artwork, you know, just random, random shit. But, um, you know, I, to me, I don't mind going off the beaten path. I don't mind going off the trail. I don't mind taking uh, these extra legs of the trip or adding any pit stops. You know, I'm traveling by myself. It'd be different if I had someone with me that wanted to or needed to get somewhere faster or at a certain amount of time. It'd be different if I had a family or kids or, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm by myself and fuck it, you know, fuck it. That's why. Uh, so I wanted to do it and I did it, uh, which is a power of will and autonomy. So I get to the Goodwill on Concord Pike and I take a look around looking for, you know, it hits me. I don't have a wedding gift for Alex and Eric, um, which is unfortunate because I had a lot of time to prepare. And by a lot of time, I mean like fucking like... I, feels like five years. Uh, it was really only like three years probably. Uh, but I had a lot of fucking time to prepare and I did not, I'm going to take a quick drink real quick. I'm just, you know, don't listen to this. Oh yeah, that hits. Um, so it was really disappointing in myself. Uh, but also I didn't give a shit, uh, because I knew that I could make it work. Things work out for me for some reason. Um, when I don't want them to or need them to, but they do. So, I'm walking around and I'm looking for, I have some ideas. Uh, luckily the idea that I had for Alex did come to fruition and actually came to be, uh, which is great. I was looking around and I saw this and I'm going to spoil the gifts, even though I didn't give them to them until, uh, April 9th, uh, which was Kyle's birthday. Um, <laughs> the gift that I got for Eric, it's this children's menorah, right? And it's sort of like a make your own, paint your own menorah because he had to convert to Judaism uh, for Alex because she, I guess, forced him to or wasn't going to have sex with him if he didn't become a Jew. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I didn't, you know, I don't know if it's like an obligation uh, to convert uh, in order to get married in that certain way. I mean, you could always lie, I guess, um, not that I'm condoning that behavior. Uh, but, you know, I, Alex is really serious about her Jewishness. Um, you know, there's a few things that Alex is serious about her, her Jewishness, her disabledness, uh, her animals and the law, uh, and her daddy. Uh, and you know, those are just the, that's AP right there. Uh, so I, she's really, you know, and Eric as well. So, you know, to put all those things together and Eric become her daddy and like her animal father and her Jew or whatever, I don't know. There's just a weird, I guess she forced him to do it. Uh, which is cool, right? I mean, you know, we love to coerce people that we love to do things for us. Um, certainly when it's like, you know, determining their ultimate faith and, you know, destination for eternity, uh, that's always cool to force them to do that. But whatever. Uh, I don't judge, you know, that's not what I do. Uh, I love all people, even when they force me to do things I don't want to do. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, back to the story. Um, I found this children's menorah, which is basically this clay children's toy version of a menorah with like a dreidel on it. Um, and you could, you know, paint it yourself and I guess put it in the oven 
which, mm, you know, that's mm, that's not a good vibe uh, in this particular community. Uh, but still, whatever, you know, not whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, God, this, this this joke is just it's horrible. Dude. It's just, I'm burning up in here. Um, oof. And I was like, hey, that's cute. Like, he's, you know, a new Jew. Uh, and so here's his first menorah. That's awesome. And he can, if they have children, he could save it and make it with them or whatever. Um, nonetheless, uh, moving on. I, I'm like, okay, this is great for Eric. Alex, I'm sure has, you know, a bunch of menorahs. She probably has so many menorahs. She could make like a whole candle display. dude. She could burn down the house, uh, with all the menorahs. Uh, so I knew what I wanted to get Alex and I knew that I could find it at the Goodwill. And I did, um, Alex and I are big fans of the show, The Office. Um, you know, we have a a kind of a weird, intimate, platonic relationship. Uh, we're really close. You know, we're certainly bound in our souls and our holes, uh, whatever, if you if you will. Uh, we're just bound to each other. We, you know, we're like platonic soulmates. I, I certainly believe. Um, I mean, I have a tattoo in her honor, but you know, we're we're fans of The Office. And I knew that this would be the perfect medium, the perfect, you know, um, means, instrumentality upon which to express my love for her and to translate that into some sort of physical manifestation. And what I'm talking about, of course, is a teapot uh, similar to what Jim gave to Pam um, on the Christmas. I think that's one of the first Christmas episodes of The Office when they do Thieves Christmas uh, and then Michael fucks it all up. But, you know, there's the teapot and there's like the uh, ketchup packet and like the little pencil and like the yearbook photo of Jim from high school and all those little things that he collected that represents their friendship and their relationship and how much he loves her. Um, and then there's the teapot letter, which he doesn't give her until season nine at the end when they're having difficulties in their marriage. Um, and, you know, I mean, at that point, they're married. They have children. They live together. They've been in a relationship for a long time. They're certainly soulmates. Uh, but, you know, every couple goes through a rough patch. Love is essentially one long rough patch. Um, and so he finally gives her the teapot letter. Um, and he says the classic line, which is one that I use um, on every woman that I meet um, because I'm a piece of shit, I guess. Uh, and if Randy's listening to this, uh, I'm a piece of shit. I know. Uh, and so the line is, you know, not enough for me. You're everything. Right. Um, because Pam is, is always worried that she's not enough for Jim and, and that, you know, he is destined for greater things, bigger and better things, and that she is limiting him and their relationship. And he says, not enough for me. You're everything. And uh, I use that line. Uh, I'm not going to comment on the successful or the success rate of that line. But I'm just saying that I do use it um, and I wouldn't keep using it if it didn't work. Um, but anyway, so I thought to myself, what a what a there's no better way for me to express my feelings towards Alex. I'm not gonna say for Alex, but towards Alex, um, where I can write her a letter. I can write my feelings out for her about her and our friendship and then her marriage and her partner, um, her spouse and all that good stuff. And then I can put it in the teapot just like Jim and give her, you know, it's symbolic of our friendship, of our relationship. It has, you know, the written portions of our love, but also it's a gift that we both connect with because it's something that we share to an interest that we share together. And I knew I could find a teapot at Goodwill. I'd found one before that was exactly, it might've been like the same teapot used, uh, same style of teapot used in the show 
Um, but unfortunately, one of my cats knocked it off a shelf and broke it, which was devastating uh, because it was like a full-size teapot, just like the one that Jim actually gave to Pam. Uh, but I found a smaller teapot that, you know, a little bit smaller. But again, the size doesn't matter. It's how you use it. Um, it's the effort you put in. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be bigger to be better. It, it's the motion of the ocean, if you will. Um, it's not the size of the teapot, right? It's the temperature of the water. Um, I'm going to write that down. And <laughs> I found what I was looking for, of course, because as if by grand design, the Jewish God shine their light down on me, which I guess would be just God. Um, I was like, dude, this is sick. Uh, and so I was like, okay, let me check out. There's one more thing I have to look at. Whenever I go to a Goodwill, there's one more thing I have to look at. And that is the CDs, right? The compact discs, if you will. Um, and obviously you guys knew what I was looking for. Everyone knows what I was looking for. Um, cause I'm always looking for the same fucking thing. I was looking for, uh, you know, I'll say Maroon 5 and John Mayer. Grateful Dead, all that shit. But I was looking for a DMB CD, right? I was looking for Dave Matthews Band. Um, I don't have. I actually don't have all of the Dave Matthews Band CDs. Certainly at that time, I did not. Um, I was close. I, I was certainly close to having all of them at that time. Um, some I had duplicates of. Others I just can't. I can't find. I can't get. Uh, the live albums is, is just. It's not even worth the, the chase. There's so many of them, and they're impossible to get um, without spending a fortune. You know, but usually you find the same albums, right? You find like the same, the first three, basically. Uh, and that's cool, right? Um, because I think that by the time Dave got into the later albums, the second half of their discography, people really only bought CDs um, if they didn't have an MP3 player and they only bought the Dave CDs specifically if they were interested in DMB, right? If they're the Ants Marching, if they're the Warehouse, they're going to buy it. Uh, but at that point, if you wanted to listen to Dave, you would either listen to it electronically or not at all. Um, so that's why it's a little bit harder to find the later albums on CD, just because people that bought them kept them. They don't give them up for thrifting. And then they didn't make as many as they did before because they don't have to, right? They don't make as many CDs as they used to because you just stream everything. Um, anyway, that's a whole other journey that I'm uh, that I'm on. Uh, so I was looking for a DMB CD, you know, not that I necessarily was ever going to play it. It's more just to collect uh, the album. And it's more, you know, I, I want to rescue it from the thrift store, right? I always like personify these, ob you know, how people always objectify people. Well, I personify objects uh, and I view, you know, these, these things, especially things you find at the thrift store that have so much soul in them as beings as things and i want to rescue this thing from captivity in the thrift store and i want it to feel it's like how people rescue animals i want it to feel loved and appreciated and valued in my collection um so i was looking for you know dave matthew cd i'll probably never play usually they're scratched up to the point where you couldn't play them anyway uh but just so they don't go in the trash because at one point in time you know, that was really special to someone. And I don't know how many times it's it's changed hands. I don't know that, you know, the chain of custody, all that shit. It doesn't matter. It's just the fact that it exists and it exists at the same time and same place as I am at that time is serendipitous. You know what I mean? So uh, I was looking for any Dave Matthews CD either to add to my collection or just to be a souvenir of the weekend, right? Because weddings, they don't always give out party favors, even though they should. I'm going to take another drink. Uh, a little thirsty. You know, I, um, weddings don't always give out 
party favors. They don't always give out gifts. Certainly in my dream wedding, I have an idea for that. Um, and oftentimes, you know, you rely on photographs um, as a way to memorize or to remember these special events. And then oftentimes you don't get enough photos of yourself or you don't get enough photos, if any, with the people that you want to take photos with, right? Like usually at weddings, you get photos with people that you already have photos with because you always get photos with those people because they're your best friends. You usually don't get photos of like a hookup. You know what I mean? Like you don't get a photo with someone that you're going to smash uh, after the wedding, uh, which that should be a thing that we do. That's why you have photo booths at weddings, by the way. Um, you get portraits and professional photos done with your closest and best friends and family. You get photo booth photos done with people that you're about to rail after the ceremony. Um, just an FYI. And so, you know, you don't usually get that. You don't get photos with strangers that you meet because uh, it's hard to ask a stranger for a photo together just because you had a good time, right? It's like that there's that meme that used to circle Twitter and it was like two guys at a casino in Vegas and they had been gambling together all night and they had been drinking together all night. They had been clubbing together all night. And so they did this thing like they do in the NFL, which is after the game, players will swap jerseys, right? They'll take off their jersey that they wore in that game. They'll sign it. They'll write a little note to the other player that they're giving it to on the other team. And then they'll swap jerseys and then they'll hold up the jersey of the player uh, on the other team. And so that's what these guys did essentially was they took their shirts off after they left the club uh, and gave them to each other. And then they held them up like they were swapping jerseys. Uh, but you don't usually get to do that with strangers at a wedding. Uh, if you if it was up to me, you would. Um, but people, you know, are kind of hesitant with strangers. So all this to all this to circle back to uh, you don't usually get things to commemorate or celebrate um, events like that. And so I wanted something that I could look back on that weekend and specifically remember what this was from. And I want it to be something that not only commemorates or celebrates that particular weekend, but also something that I love and will cherish and will hold on to. There will never be the thought of, uh, you know, they've been together for 20 years. They've been together for 25 years. So I don't need this anymore. I can toss it. Like if it was like a dried flower or like, I don't know, something, who knows. Uh, but there's also, you know, if they get divorced and you have to like toss that shit, um, because it's not cool to keep that shit to remind you of someone else's relationship, which is a message to all of my friends and family on Facebook that maybe you should unfriend Ivy, but whatever. Um, back to back to basics. Um, you know, if Alex and Eric were to ever get divorced, uh, which I hope never happens and don't think ever will, I think Alex would kill herself before she got divorced. Um, I would still have this item, this object to remember that particular time. I wouldn't have tossed it because it has its own value and special meaning to me outside of this particular event, which is what a souvenir should be, um, which is why I like shot glasses or hats, because even if I, you know, for some reason, don't give a fuck about the event in question or the place in question, I'm still going to use that thing to take a shot or to cover up a bad hair day. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I found, of course, I found a copy of it's one album, um, just one day Matthew CD. And of course it was, that's fine with me. It's all I needed. Uh, and it's a copy of before these crowded streets. And I have talked about this album. Uh, it's funny. I'm on minute uh, 27 of this episode and I've talked about this fucking album. I mean, I, I don't know all the time. I mean, it's a classic. Um, again, you know, the, <laughs> the, I was going to call it a set list. The track list on the CD is just epic. I mean, you know, you have Rapunzel, which is one of my favorite. It's a jam dude. Rapunzel fucking rocks. 
Um, and it's like the dirtiest, filthiest, grimiest, sexiest song, dude. And, and it's just, you know, uh, you gotta listen to Rapunzel. You gotta listen to Rapunzel. Rapunzel, The Last Stop, which is a classic. Don't Drink the Water is a fan favorite. People love Don't Drink the Water. Um, especially when they add, you know, this land is your land, this land is my land. Um, or they do like the national anthem. A- any way to like tie in, because Don't Drink the Water is about the genocide of the uh, indigenous people of the United States, right? Of the Native Americans. Um, don't drink the water, there's blood in the water. Uh, and so when they tie it into Americana and sort of, it, it's a very like Hendrix vibe or like a Bruce Springsteen born in the USA where it's like a really powerful song that people take. If you don't know about it, you take it like, wow, this is this is a kick-ass song. It's positive, it's badass, it's, it's pro. People always think that shit is pro-America. Uh, like people think born in the USA is a pro-America song. Um, but Don't Drink the Water is a very... Um, you know, melancholy song about the Europeans coming to the new world and just committing this mass genocide of the indigenous, um, and sort of how they, they viewed that as manifest destiny. So when they tie that in with Americana music, it's just really powerful. Uh, and it's also a great song to hear live. Um, stay wasting time is a, is a classic. Uh, again, I'm going to say these are all classics because this is actually a classic album, but stay wasting time is great. He talks about, um, seeing the the sweat run down the spine of this woman and how he wants to lick it off her back like that is just that's some lance shit right there um halloween the next two songs really together the next three songs together are just unstoppable halloween is in my opinion one of if not the greatest love songs ever written it's about how i mean love is hell dude the lyrics are love is hell and you're a monster and the monsters the freaks the ghosts the torture the sorrow, the pain, the suffering comes out on Halloween. Um, what a great song. The Stone immediately following. The Stone is, you know, the equal opposite inverse of Halloween, where Halloween is about a relationship that failed and how, you know, it's the only song that Dave Matthews would never share the lyrics of with his mother because he didn't want his mother to know what he was saying because he didn't want his mother to know how he was feeling about this woman. Um, you know, love is hell, dude. Uh, and then the stone is about a different woman. It's about his wife. Uh, and the stone, of course, is the ring, the diamond ring, the rock that he uses to propose to his wife and about how much he loves her and the fear and the anxiety that he felt when he finally decided that he had found forever and wanted to propose and was worrying that she would say no. You know, I was just wondering if you'd come along, um, hold up my head when my head can't hold on. Uh, it just it, it's a great love song. And then after the stone is crush, which, you know, as much as I like to say crush is not my favorite Dave Matthews song, it's the one that I sing every day. And it's the one that I sing in its entirety, no matter what time of day, no matter where I am. Crush is the epitome. Some people think it's ants marching. Some people think it's what would you say? You know, some <laughs> some people think it's crash into me. Um but to me, you know, it is crush is like what Dave stands for, I think. Um, and as much as I, I don't want to say that it's my favorite song, it is the one uh, that that sticks out. It, it's just great. The Dreaming Tree is just not is just not for me. And I know that any like DMB people that are listening uh, that listen to the DMB saga, they probably hate me for that shit. The Dreaming Tree is just not a vibe for me. I just can't get down to it. Um, it's sort of like Raven. I've come around to Raven. Um, but yeah, for some reason, man, I don't know. Dreaming tree is just not, it's too much of a narrative. 
uh, for me. I think it's too much of a slow narrative. Um, classic African style storytelling. After that is Pig. Of course, everyone knows Pig. You know, don't burn the day away. Is this not enough? This blessed sip of life. Is this not enough? Staring down at the ground. Oh, and complain and pray for more from above, you greedy little pig. Uh, and then the violin, boy on the violin, making the squeal of the pig is, you know, pig is something, if you're having a bad day, if you're having a bad time, you know, there are bad times, that's okay. Just look for the love in it. Don't burn the day away. If you're ever having a bad day, you gotta listen to pig. Uh, and then spoon, which is another um, slow jam classic. I, I enjoy that song a little bit more now. And this was all produced by Steve Lillywhite, who is the man that, he's the man behind the music uh, with Dave. And Lillywhite is just, He's a genius. But anyway, found a copy of Before These Crowded Streets. Uh, again, it has the coffee rings on it, uh, which I've told that story 10 million times uh, forward and backward, so I'm not going to. Um, it is scratched up. I don't know if it would play. It looks like the only part of the CD that would play would probably be Pig. Uh, I would, or Dreaming Tree, honestly, just because of you know the irony. Uh, but the rest of it's pretty scratched up. But it's not to play. It's It's... You know, I have a, I probably have half a dozen copies of Before These Crowded Streets. And whenever I see one in a thrift store, I usually pick it up. Um, I probably have, you know, like I said, half a dozen copies of this album. It doesn't matter that this one doesn't play because it's not meant to play. It's meant to commemorate, hey, this is a copy of one of my favorite albums from my very absolute favorite band from the wedding of, you know, one of my absolute favorite people. So that's a great souvenir. I'm super stoked that I picked that up. Um, I'll put it back in my box over here. Um, and so grab that. And then I was on my way to New Jersey, right over to like Cherry Hill or wherever the fuck it was. Cherry Hell is what they should call it. Um, make it to New Jersey. And as soon as I pull in to the hotel, well, did I stop the liquor store? Um, I did. Of course I stopped at Chipotle and I stopped at the liquor store because I I'm Lance. You know what I mean? I I'm, if you if I was ever to be assassinated, they would know where to find me. Uh, I take a I take a pre docket dump every day at eleven thirty, so you know you're gonna find me in the bathroom. I go to Chipotle and go to the liquor store, uh, and I'd like to do all those things in the same day. Plus the Goodwill, right? Um, I need to mix it up in case anyone's ever after me, uh, the CIA or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I go to Chipotle, go to the liquor store, and as soon as I pull into the hotel, who do I see? Uh, but Elaine Prelly and her boyfriend, Matt. Um, and it's crazy to pull in at the same time and, and see Elaine who I love dearly. Again, one of my best friends, you know, probably one of, one of two people that I talk to every single day. And I've talked to every single day since I I've met her. Uh, and that's really saying something, right? Cause the only other person I talk to every single day is Hunter Cutliffe. Right. And I feel like I've talked about this before. I mean, Hunter and Elaine are the two people that no matter what, through thick and thin, have seen every side of me. Uh, and, you know, still they've seen the they've seen the stone and they've seen Halloween and they still choose to listen. Um, and so I love seeing Elaine. I love running into her. She is, you know, she is my best friend. And to see Matt was cool, too. Um, I really gotten to enjoy him. Um, but. Pull in, uh, of course, I make some joke about like how much for a night, like a prostitution joke because I'm a dumbass. Um, and he, he's a cop, by the way. I mean, she's a prosecutor. He's a cop. Uh, so that's what the joke is um, because they're not prostitutes. And 
uh, you know, say hi to them. And then we go into the hotel. I don't think I'd even been, or I had been to my hotel, I guess, to drop off my shit. Um, but I get to the hotel, I go with them and I go to their room and hang out. And I feel like I'm kind of in, invading their privacy. Um, uh, we're at minute 36, uh, my favorite number. And I feel like I'm invading their privacy a little bit, but you know, they're very welcoming. Matt's a cool guy. He's sort of, you know, very chill, go with the flow. Um, we're hanging out and then Alex is trying to get us basically to come upstairs. I don't think it was her room. It might've been Eric's room. Uh, to hang out and we're like okay like you know Alex is part of the trio right we're the the golden three um, the holy trinity if you will um, we're like Iron Man Thor and Captain America and so we were like yeah dude we're stoked and of course Matt's there um, and then we assume Eric's going to be there as well and then there was another guy there who I'll talk about in a sec and then Alex said that there were some friends and I was like well bro dude you know bring the friends dude uh, I you know I'm pretty you know you know how I am uh, so we, uh, take, we have a few drinks, you know, take a few back. Uh, I'm pretty sure I think we do. Um, either that was before or after it doesn't matter. Um, I'm pretty sure we have a drink or two and then I take my Chipotle and take my ass upstairs and I'm going to, I might take a break right here. Uh, just, I'm going to pause and I'll jump right back. So it won't affect anything with you guys, but I just want to make a clear cut between cut, uh, a clear cut between uh, getting to the hotel and then the two individuals or three individuals I'm going to talk about in detail because they really made this trip. So um, I'll be in, I'll be back in just a sec. Anyway, I just needed a drink and I needed to sort of clear my throat a little bit, but you know, we get into the hotel room and I can, I'm not going to paint a picture. You guys don't need that, that detail, that amount of detail, but uh, there were five individuals in the hotel room. There, Alex Pooner, who's now Alex Lepushner, uh, Eric, of course, his best friend, Mark, who is, you know, a devil, devilishly handsome. And then there were two young ladies. And I'm going to um, I might talk about one of them in great detail. Uh, and I really don't give a shit uh, about what I'm going to say, because what I what I'm going to say is is ultimately positive, uh, but definitely true. Right. Ultimately positive, but definitely true. Um so the first young lady, her name is Clarissa, right? Uh, and Clarissa, I guess these are all sorority sisters of AP. And she is, um, I don't know, I'm not going to give like a physical description. I was going to like height, weight, you know, ratio, uh, just from, I read enough police reports uh, that I can pretty much, I think, get people down. Um, just, you know, very beautiful young lady. Um, she is, she's the outgoing uh, one it appears in this group. Uh, of course, I've heard a lot of things about both of these women already at this point because uh, Alex had given me the rundown or the lowdown on all the women coming to the wedding. Um, that's what friends do. Uh, so, it, you know, there's Clarissa and then Clarissa's other half, uh, her better half, if you will, is named Megan. And Megan is um, just a classic Lance uh, love interest, right? And Megan... <laughs> <laughs> Megan is a classic. Um, I don't even know. There's probably a word that I'm that I'm thinking of here. Um, classic Lance bombshell style. She's like she's just my type. You know what I mean? Um, if you had her, if you had just read the resume of both of these women, you would think that Clarissa was my type in terms of personality. She's a little bit wild, 
a little bit crazy, a little bit out there. You guys know I love those things. Maybe a little too much. Uh, very, you know, extroverted, very outspoken, um, willing to try new things, willing to do new things. Just very uh, adventurous, right? A very wanderlust type person uh, in terms of their activity uh, and just in terms of their uh, outward presentation, right? Um, well, I guess you would appear to be type A. And then Megan, on the other hand, uh, physically different, but strikingly beautiful, is a little bit more, uh, appears a little bit more put together, uh, well put together, a little bit more reserved, uh, you know, cool, calm, very collected, very, I don't want to say formal presentation, but very, um, it's very apparent that she puts time and effort uh, and, and much thought into not only how she looks, but how she presents herself, regardless of the look. Uh, just the way that she exists, right? Um, very much well put together. Um, shows very well, if you will. And she is a little bit, like I said, more calm, a little bit more, I don't want to say timid, because I don't think that's a good description of her. Uh, but just a little bit more traditional, uh, not in like a conservative Trumper-thumper way, but just a little bit more traditional, a little bit more classic beauty, timeless classic beauty in terms of personality and physically, but mostly I'm talking about personality. So, um, two very different women that appear to be really close friends, uh, that had traveled together to come to this occasion. And I, um, I already, here's the thing. So I, this is going to be a Lance tangent. Um, at minute 41, dude, that's crazy. 27, 36, 41, my three favorite numbers. Um, I, had we done our research basically on the women that were going to be there just because Alex knows I'm single and ready to mingle. Well, I don't know about right now, but certainly then um, I just gotten a job. You know, I got this new watch. My Aunt Sandy got me. I was feeling hot, dude. I was hot like Patrick Mahomes, you know, in the fourth quarter with a minute left. I was feeling hot. Um, and Megan uh, really stood out to me just because of her physical appearance. She's small. She's petite. Uh, which I know the, the irony that that is my type, considering that I'm a larger gentleman, um, you know, not not just in terms of like, I was going to say girth, uh, which, you know, I'm not, there was a face that was made in that silence there. I'm not just going to say girth, uh, but, you know, with uh, row, you know, what's the word rotund husky, if you will, but also just in terms of height and, you know, breadth and um, stature, you know, I'm a very. I'm a, I'm a large presence just in, in every sense of the phrase physically, mentally, emotionally, vocally. I'm just, you know, I fill a room in every way possible. Um, I'm just a big guy. I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm the John Goodman um, of the world. And my type is usually, you know, five foot and under. Uh, <laughs> small, petite, you know, for some reason, brunettes, even though I always say blondes. Um, just kind of a, I don't want to say dainty, but like everyone's kind of dainty to me just because of my sheer size and strength. Um, but certainly, um, just a small lovable package, but usually you can fit a lot of crazy into a small package. Uh, you, you fit a lot of fire into a small package. Um, they're fierce, right? Um, Megan really stood out to me because she looks a lot like a young lady that I used to have romantic feelings for uh someone that i was romantically interested in but ultimately we were just friends we were best friends in college 
Um, her name is Brianna, and she we met at Shepherd. Um, we just I don't know. We were like kind of opposites. I think that we we both had similar souls, um, old souls, if you will. But in terms of our outward expression of our personalities, uh, we were ultimately uh, polar opposites. Um, well, for, I don't know, for some reason we were just, we were really close and it was just, it was strange how that worked out. And I'm not going to, this isn't, um, you know, Brianna Wild. Uh, it's <laughs> what a great name, but this isn't an episode about her. Uh, this isn't about Shepherdstown, but there's a lot of that, um, healthy, it's not even a relationship, right? I, I never dated her. It, it was never romantic in nature, even though I did have feelings for her for a long time. Um, even when I was romantically invested in other people, I did have feelings for her. Um, but it was a healthy relationship in terms of a healthy friendship, a healthy platonic friendship, because she set boundaries that she was firm in maintaining. And I'm not talking like the romantic versus platonic boundary. And I'm not talking about like a, you know, sexual intimacy versus like you know, no physical contact boundary, things like that. Certainly those were firm and they were not tested um, because I respected her. And that's ultimately what I'm getting at is, you know, she, she created personal boundaries in terms of respect and treatment, not only that she desired, but that she necessitated that she required, right? She didn't just desire the respect. She required the respect. And it forced me to act appropriately because I didn't want to test those boundaries. And when I did test them, there were consequences, right? There were actually, um, I'm not going to say punishments, uh, but, you know, negative conditioning, if you will, if you want to get Skinner with it, uh, negative conditioning. There were, there were actual consequences to offending her boundaries. And it's sort of like touching the stove. When you're young, you know, you got to touch it to know it's hot to not do it again. And so I would test her boundaries early on just naturally as I do, because I, you know, I like to exploit boundaries. Apparently, um, I'm a very big guy, so I need to bust out of the seams, burst out of the seams uh, and the seams being the boundaries. And she would put me in my place or she would put me out of my place. Right. She would either, you know, crack down uh, with a firm boundary and some sort of, you know, punishment, like, hey, like, no, like, you know, I'm not accepting that type of, you know, you're not going to talk to me that way. You're not going to treat me that way. You're not going to take out those emotions on me in that way. Or it would be the, I don't want to call it the silent treatment, but sort of the distance, right? Uh, she would either give me the immediate stick, right? Carrot versus stick, immediate stick of the negative um, consequence or she would give me the silent treatment, the space, the, you know, if you're not going to treat me the way that I require to be treated, you're not going to treat me any way at all. Um, and then obviously I would grow to regret that, uh, feel that remorse and then alter my behavior to get back in her good graces. Right. And she was one of the first women in my life. Uh, I, Lauren Hoke also did this, um, a lot, you know, especially around that same time period. And then later on, um, Lauren Hoke often did this, but Brianna did this in a way that really, I think affirmed in me that type of respect, mutual respect being so significant to a friendship 
and so significant to any form of an interpersonal relationship. Um, this is a really long tangent. I realize that now, but I think it's important um, because it's something that I'm still dealing with to this day as a, you know, I was, I was dealing with that when I was 19 and I'm going on 28, you know what I mean? So this is something that is, is very significant still. And I think it's going to last for the rest of my life where I needed a woman to, I need, well, I always need women to stand up to me. Uh, I need everyone to stand up to me, but like, you know, I'm sensitive. Uh, <laughs> but no, I really needed women who would show me how to treat other women, right? I, you know, not, well, not just treat women, but just treat people in general because everyone is deserving uh, at the very least of basic human respect and basic human dignity. But I needed women at that age to show me how to treat women at that age. And women who created these firm boundaries and enforced those firm boundaries, and then women who either rewarded me with platonic love or rewarded me with friendship and compassion or punished me with firm, you know, I don't want to call it snapping, but like, you know, firm punishment or the evasive, like, you know, like I said, uh, if you're not going to treat me this way, you're not going to treat me at all. That is so important. Uh, and I needed at that age, someone to, uh, to show me that. And sorry, Hunter's freaking, of course, coming at me with some shit right now. Um, but I needed someone to, to show me that. And I still do ultimately, because sometimes I, I forget and I, I, you know, I went so long without interacting with any stranger <laughs> just because of everything that happened, you know, with school and the pandemic and just my life in general, that I need new people to come into my life and enforce boundaries. Um, not just so that I know how to treat them and know how to treat others, but also so that it teaches me that I can have boundaries as well. It's not even that I need to enforce boundaries. I just need to establish boundaries because I just cannot do that. I let people walk all over me treat me like shit, and then it just builds up until I explode, where if I, you know, establish boundaries early and enforce them often, appropriately, you know, maybe better things would happen. But whatever. Uh, anyway, that is to say that this woman, Megan, reminded me a lot of, both physically and I think personality-wise, of Brianna. Uh, and that's just, it's something I hadn't experienced in a long time, in over almost a decade. So... But at that night, I was busy with my Chipotle. Uh, <laughs> I was busy eating my Chipotle to really invest in that part of the evening. So I enjoy my Chipotle. I enjoy my time. So, you know, Chipotle is my life, dude. Uh, I love Chipotle. Chipotle is my life. Uh, but I enjoyed my dinner, hung out with them, um, hung out with Elaine and Matt a little bit after that. And then ultimately, you know, went back to the hotel room, enjoyed my stay. They gave me like a presidential long-term suite at the hotel just for the fuck of it, uh, which was dope. Uh, I think it's really helps to be kind and courteous and generous to people that you interact with, no matter what they can or cannot do for you. And it's good to not, you know, I, like I said, all people, no matter what, all people deserve basic human dignity and basic human respect. But if you go above and beyond with everyone, and if you treat strangers with that kindness, that courtesy, that generosity, often that's more rare than it should be, unfortunately. Um, and then it pays off, right? It pays off. And so you treat people well, uh, especially like people in the in service industries, um, you know, people that run accommodations or, or whatever it may be, 
And often you get rewarded for just being a good, decent human being. And I find certainly in the world that I live in now, it pays off to just be a fucking cool dude. You know what I mean? Like, just be cool uh, and shit works out for you. So they gave me the big, you know, presidential suite, which is super fucking sick. Um, And I I loved every minute of it. Uh, The next day, I guess, was the wedding, uh, which I'm I'm at 52 minutes right now. Uh, I was hoping to, I don't know why I had this pipe dream. Oh, I shouldn't use that term anymore because I, because <laughs> I'm a public defender. Uh, but I had this pipe dream uh, that I could get through the whole wedding in an hour. And that was just unrealistic. So it looks like the Pooner wedding is going to be a two hour situation. The Lado wedding, because I've already laid some of the foundation, uh, hopefully won't take that long. And this could be a, a two, at least a two parter, maybe even a three parter. Uh, But that's okay because I like to talk and it's only nine o'clock. So I'm going to jump into it. I'm sure that I I don't know if I still have my ads available because I haven't been on there so long to make an advertisement. Um, But I don't do it for the money. You know, I do it for the fun, uh, which is what I say about my job as well. But anyway, so the next day is the actual wedding and Elaine is busy because she's a part of the wedding party. So I am, I was going to say I was stuck with Matt, but that's not what it was at all. I had a a lovely time with Matt, and I think that we really had a lot of great male bonding, or just general, just bonding in general, you know what I mean? There's some good bondage going on um, between the two of us, and, you know, it just, it it was great. So I, you know, I may have looked at it before as, oh man, I'm stuck with Matt when my two best friends are present, you know, i just not with them. Um... But ultimately, I had a great time with him, and he's such a great guy, and I love him to death. Um, I'll tell him that, too. I don't give a fuck. You know, Matt, if you're listening or if Elaine tells you this, I love you, uh, platonically, of course, and I appreciate you and your boundaries. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, you know, hang, go over to, I think I'm already in my suit, already dressed up because I was at a different hotel, uh, but I meet Matt while he's getting ready. We hang out. We have another drink or two, um, and then we Uber... Uh, together we share an uber which is like bro who am i drake you know what i mean uh like oh my god sharing an uber uh it's like drake and future in this motherfucker dude you know used to this um what a time to be alive dude what a time to be alive but we share we get dressed we have a drink or two uh tell some good jokes watch um is it is it big daddy is that what it is is it big daddy with adam sandler and then dylan and cole sprouse um pretty sure that's what big daddy yeah we watch so we watch adam sandler movies uh have like i said have a few drinks i had a bottle of blanton's uh with me which i still have as a souvenir uh which is also from when i passed the bar and then we uber share an uber uh drake and future over to the venue and we get there pretty early and the venue again i'm not gonna get into too much detail uh they did have this amazing wine cellar which casey fiesel shout out casey fiesel if you're listening they had an amazing wine cellar it was a great place uh, up in New Jersey, and um, we'll have to stop there sometime and enjoy some wine together. But ultimately, uh, you know, I'm not really going to talk about the venue so much as much as I'm going to talk about the people, the places, the things, you know, that sort of shit. So there were uh, four people in particular coming to this wedding that I was a little bit hesitant or a little bit nervous to see. And it's funny because there were four people, but it's basically two couples uh, that I, I was nervous to see. And I know that 
Alex was also nervous for me to see uh, as well. And it was just nerves all the way around. And it wasn't like I'm like scared of these people. It wasn't, I didn't think there was going to be an issue with either of them because I know how to behave. Uh, I may be an animal, but man is a political animal. And I do know how to behave myself. And I do know like when it is appropriate. I understand, like I said, people's boundaries of like, you know, you can't start a fight at a family reunion. You know what I mean? You can't like punch someone's uncle in the face at a wedding. You, you just can't do those things. Um, I do have, there are some things that I will not do. You know, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Um, anyway, the people that I, that I was nervous to see were, of course, Kyle and Kelsey. Um, and then the other couple was Ryan and her boyfriend. I don't know that motherfucker's name. Uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, everyone listening to Late Nights with Lance, I really could give two fucks about what, his guy, what this guy's name is. I love Ryan. I'm glad that she's happy. Glad that she has someone. But in terms of the story of Lance, the lore of Lance, this guy just, you know, if anything, he's like a minor villain uh, in my story. You know what I mean? He's sort of like, what's a good Marvel? He's like Whiplash. You know what I mean? Iron Man 2 is one of my favorite uh, movies. Uh, and this guy is like Whiplash. Uh, you know, he ain't Aldridge Killian. He's not the Mandarin. He's not Ultron. He's not Loki. He's not Thanos. Uh, you know what I mean? He's not the Scarlet Witch. He's just freaking uh, Whiplash. Um, and by Whiplash, I mean like an alternate version of me that's not as cool uh, and doesn't have the same tech uh, and isn't a badass uh, and is from another country, I guess, or something. I don't know. But he's just, you know, if I'm Tony Stark, this motherfucker is Whiplash and he's just an alternate worst version of me, but still I got to respect him and appreciate him because like I said, He's a side of me, right? It's sort of like you got to appreciate your bad side just so you appreciate your good side. Um, but anyway, now the point. The point is I was nervous to see these four individuals, uh, two units, for different reasons, uh, slightly different reasons. And this is Late Nights with Lance. So I'm going to fucking talk about it because I don't give a shit. Um, I had a and I, I'm going to talk about one in a more respectful manner because these issues have been resolved um, and I don't want to rehash them and I don't want to say anything disrespectful when I don't mean them anymore. And I think that we have moved on from things and things are better. Uh, but I was nervous to see Kyle and Kelsey, mostly Kyle, uh, because him and I had gotten into a, what I call a discussion. Uh, anyone, this is, that's like an Alex Camacho. Uh, that's a Camacho joke. So Alex and Elsie and Victoria, Whenever I say I'm having a discussion with someone, it's usually when I'm having like a fight with my significant other while I'm at the beach. So while everyone's like out by the pool drinking and partying and having the time of their life, I'm like inside by the pool table in the air conditioner texting my girlfriend real like furiously about some altercation, some disagreement. And then my friends are like, Lance, what the fuck is happening? Like, why aren't you out here in the pool or taking shots or jamming to music? And I'm like, I'm having a discussion. Uh, and Alex Camacho knows that when I say I'm having a discussion, it means I'm having uh, some sort of conflict or altercation. So, you know, Kyle and I were having a discussion. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about the reason behind it because I think that we have put this behind us, but it was a, um, it's called a mutual disagreement uh, about something that was of great significance to me. And it just did not go the way that I think either of us wanted it to go. Um, and whether we had, you know, dom dominion or control in how those things transpired, it's nebulous at this point. Um, but ultimately, it was a it was a firm, staunch disagreement 
to turn into a discussion about something that was very significant to me that just did not go my way. And I had certainly reacted in a way that I felt or deemed appropriate at that time, which anyone who knows me intimately knows what that means. Uh, I snapped, you know, I had enough, I popped off, uh, which I try not to do anymore. So you guys know that if I've popped off in the last five years, I probably did it with reason, right? With cause, with good cause, as they say in court. Uh, so if I've popped off in the last five years after the whole shit with Ivy and, you know, her family and disagreements and issues like that, um, and then I, the things I've done to improve myself, if I'm popping off anytime recently, it's usually with good cause. Um, I popped off, and that certainly created a great divide uh, between myself and Kyle, and then obviously Kelsey, who is his other half, right? His better half, if you will, which... Of course, before I say anything further, congratulations to them on their engagement uh, and on their relationship. Very stoked to have played such a major role in that relationship, if you will. Uh, you know, certainly I deserve at least 11, maybe 12% of the credit uh, for that. But congratulations to them. And I was nervous because, you know, I hadn't seen him in person in so long, uh, too long. And the last time that we had talked was not a very positive um circumstance and so it was one of those things where i felt like the conflict had sort of aged out uh it wasn't anything that you know it in the moment and in the surrounding you know days weeks months surrounding that it really offended the traditional notions of fair play and substantial justice no it really offended me and who i am as a person to my core like in my soul but it wasn't anything that like devastated me or had a long-term it didn't have any long-term negative impact on my life. So as much as it did offend who I am or who I was as a person, it only offended me superficially. You know what I mean? It didn't tear my life apart. It was just devastating for what it was. Uh, so I felt like the conflict had ultimately aged out. Uh, and hopefully the same would be said for with Kelsey, uh, who I had uh, not only the issue with Kyle, but I had said some things about some of her friends Um from law school that I also had disagreements with discussions with where I wasn't so um, reserved. I wasn't so well put together. That being said, uh, I would never talk bad about her, her other friends that aren't from law school, the, the lards, if you will, because I love those women with all my freaking heart and soul, uh, especially Ellen. Uh, so I don't know if anyone's going to get this message to her, but Ellen, if you're listening, you know, I love you dearly. Um, Anyway, back to the back to the jam. Uh, I was a little nervous to see them just because I had to come face to face with these people that I last time we communicated in any capacity was extremely ultimately negative. Um, but again, Alex was like, Lance, you need to behave yourself. Like, don't pick a fight. Like, you know, everyone's worried that you're going to snap. Everyone's worried that you're going to misbehave. We don't know how you're going to handle it. And I'm like, bro, like, don't worry about me. Right. This is this is my best friend's biggest day of her life right this is alex's biggest day of her life uh there's no way that i would be responsible for ruining it so you don't have to worry about me i love and respect alex enough to not fuck that up for her and if anyone else tried to fuck it up i would fuck them up um you know it, it's more like worry about what other people are going to say to me when they think that i can't respond right now if someone had come up to me and got in my face and said some really disrespectful you know ignorant shit uh, because they thought I wouldn't or couldn't respond because it was my best friend's wedding. Well, jokes on them, dude. These hands are rated E for everyone, um, you know. And this is there's no time, place, and manner restriction 
on this first amendment. You know what I mean? Um, this is, is, you know, for the people. Um, but ultimately it didn't come to that. It didn't come to blows. Um, any blows of any kind, if you will, uh, ultimately. It, so I was nervous to see them. And then the other aspect was Ryan and her boyfriend. And again, I could look up his name. I just don't give a fuck. Right. And it's not that I don't like him. It's just that I don't care. And this is late nights with Lance, not late nights with some random motherfucker who makes TV in Japan. You know what I mean? Uh, so Ryan, uh, this, you know, shout out Ryan, uh, <laughs> is again, another one of my past or previous love interest, a sorority sister of Alex, someone that, you know, she had kind of set us up, uh, in a weird situation that I don't really want to get into. Um, you know, Ryan is certainly a past. I, I don't know if past love interest is sufficient to describe our relationship, right? Um, because there are women in this, in this particular story that are past love interest that Ryan has had way more of an impact and way more of a place in my life than them. Um, you know, we never dated, so I can't really say that she was a past, uh, or previous significant other, uh, but that would probably be more representative of our relationship than just love interest, right? Like there, there are plenty of women in this story in this situation and there are plenty of women listening to this show right now that I would consider to be past love interest. Um, and Ryan and I had more of an intimate relationship than that. And I would argue that even our friendship is more intimate than that. Or, or, or I, I would argue that our friendship is more intimate than some of my romantic endeavors. Um, so just that level of platonic intimacy mixed with the romantic intimacy from the past you know, I don't know what I would call it. Uh, just, you know, a situationship is not the right word either. But anyway, um, you know, I was in love with Ryan Ross. I was. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't know if she's listening. I don't know if she's going to listen. Uh, and I don't know how she would feel about this. I don't know if her if her dude is going to listen. Uh, but I would say that there was a time where she was also in love with me. I would say that there was a time where it was reciprocated. Um, and I would think that there was a time where maybe it was reciprocate, not only just reciprocated at some point, but I would argue that there was a time where it was reciprocal, uh, where it was an active reciprocation between the two of us. Um, which is why I don't think that romantic interest is sufficient to describe our relationship. Um, you know, there's certainly a time in my life in the last, you know, three years or so where it may, I don't even, it might be longer than that now, uh, three years or so where I was. Uh, you know, truly in love with Ryan Ross. And it didn't, you know, it just didn't work. Uh, I don't know if we are, we're very much Lady in the Tramp, uh, where I am obviously the Tramp. Uh, we just come from different worlds, you know what I mean? It's like a very Gatsby-esque, um, Tale of Two Cities-esque, just very different, you know, I don't want to say Romeo and Juliet, uh, because they were both wealthy families. Uh, but, it, you know, more like a, a Jack and Rose um, from Titanic si uh, type of story, right? Um, where just just our backgrounds, uh, and we we also had a lot of we had a lot of shit that we were dealing with, and still do ultimately. Um, but from that romantic connection, that romantic relationship, uh, I think spawned a lifelong friendship. Where even though we don't talk as much as we used to, and I think part of that is related to her current relationship, 
uh, to which I respect her boundaries because that's important. Um, you know, I do believe that there's a true, honest friendship there where if she ever needed anything, if she was ever in any sort of, like it's a great need or danger or any, if she would never want for anything, if that makes sense. Right. If she came to me, she would never want for anything. Um, and I think that the same or similar can be said on her part as well. Um, it just ultimately didn't pan out. Right. Uh, and it's weird because there are women that I've, I've dated socially, uh, casually. And then there's women that I've dated what I say professionally, which is, I get that from Ivy, but, um, you know, women that I've dated professionally in long-term relationships, actual, um, Facebook official relationships. I've had a few of those where I think that my relationship with Ryan would rival or, you know, surpass or surplant those in terms of significance and intimacy and just person or lore building. Uh, and I was nervous to see her because she was bringing this dude. Um, I don't think that we had ever met in person. Um, just because of how we met and where we, when we met, but I don't think I'd ever seen her in person. Uh, we'd certainly seen a lot of each other, um, virtually and I was seeing her for the first time in person, but I was also seeing this motherfucker. And, uh, if I was going to fight anyone at that wedding, (laughs) it would have been him. Uh, not to say that I would have done that, but still he was certainly higher on my list than Kyle and Kelsey, obviously. Um, and you know, the first people that I see of this list, I mean, there's lots of, you know, great people at this wedding. Um, obviously I love the Pooners with my entire heart. Um, the whole family, I just love them to death, but I see Kyle and Kelsey first and just going for the hug, dude, just like straight up. You know what I mean? Like that's my bro, man. I mean, that's, that's the, the Rick Dalton to my cliff booth. Right. If you've ever seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that is my Rick Dalton to my Cliff Booth. And that's, I mean, that's my brother. You know, I mean, ultimately, no matter what happened between us and no matter the time or the space distance or differential between the two of us, I mean, that that's that's my brother, dude, you know, straight up. Uh, imagine if I never met the Broskis. Um, and it was, you know, it was just picking up right where we left off. And that feeling was very rewarding uh, and very calming and soothing. Uh, I felt very secure in that feeling. And then, of course, seeing Kelsey, who is uh, a pleasure uh, to be around. Always. I think everyone would say that about her. I don't think anyone has anything negative to say about Kelsey Lassard. Um So that was, that was just great. And it was like, you know, I there's certainly a little, like a moment of hesitation. Uh, but once once the hug happens, you know, that it's gone. Uh, and it's just like, hey... We're going to have to warm up. Certainly, we're not just jumping right in. You know, you got to, it's like diving into the pool. Uh, you got to, you know, acclimate yourself to the water temperature. But once you warm up, I mean, you know, you're made for water. Um, and we have to go get seats for this event. Of course, it's a packed house because Alex, you know, is loved by every person she's ever known. Um, and I end up sitting next to Clarissa and Megan. And, of course, they're looking fine as fuck, of course. Um, So I'm sitting next to Clarissa and Megan. um, And then there's Kyle next to me and then Kelsey. Elaine is up with the uh, bridesmaids and all that shit. 
And then um, I think it was Megan told Clarissa that Ryan had arrived. And I turned around and saw Ryan in person for the first time. She was with this guy that looks kind of like a... Uh, he looks like Kenny Rogers. Uh, if And I'm not going to be specific on which version of Kenny Rogers. Like what level of plastic surgery Kenny Rogers. But this motherfucker looks like Kenny Rogers. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> and they arrived and and she sat behind me like a little bit, I think like at my at my like four o'clock or at my five o'clock. Um and it was it was surreal in that I felt very complete in that moment. I felt very complete in that setting um to be with these people, right? People that I hadn't seen in person ever, or people that I had been in conflict with. Or strangers it was just a very it was a good group of people i think alex did a great job and who she invited uh to this wedding um i don't know how she feels about that obviously she probably is she probably has some grievances uh with some of the guests but certainly it was a great um a great crowd in, in terms of my opinion um the ceremony was beautiful the um the rabbi was fucking was dope he's like the marshall mathers uh, of rabbis which is probably like the, a weird description uh <laughs> you know i mean this guy was on he was singing the you know the the lyrics the rhythm the beats the just the lyricism the the vocals the the amains i mean this guy was just in it dude. i mean it, it was just it, it was surreal and it was phenomenal and this guy could easily put out uh, a hit a platinum record with no features um, like, you know, J. Cole style, uh, you know, platinum, no features. Uh, and I think that he would win a Grammy. I mean, this guy was, he was laying it down in the name of the Jewish Lord, uh, Jehovah or whatever. And I don't know if that's the, anyway, uh, I mean, he, this man was just, he was laying, he was laying the proverbial pipe. Um, and there were all sorts of songs and poems and cool lines. And there were different words, uh, like, I think the one was like the atuba uh or the chupa uh you know there's just there's lots of there's lots of stuff going on but the classic was the amen dude i mean this guy was he would lay down like the the hardest bar in the history right talk about a bar mitzvah this guy was laying down the white hot bars uh and then he would end that bar with the amen and it was just like bro like you know leave some for the rest of us my guy uh, you know, just calm down, dude. Like, no need to, no need to go so hard. I mean, it was ill, dude. It was one of those things where, like, the beat is so ill that you, like, kind of lift up, like, your lip. Like, you kind of, like, curl your lip a little bit because it's, like, you're sick in the beat, dude. It was just, it was disgusting. What this guy was doing to this Jewish music was just disgusting. I mean, he was, it, I mean, you know how sticky it gets, dude. Um, He was just laying it down. And I, I would definitely go see him perform again. Um, I guess what every Saturday uh, I would go see this guy perform. Uh, I mean, he was just he was a baller, uh, straight up. Um, you know, like you know, keep it one hundred, keep it a bean. I mean, this guy was was just disgusting. Uh, and he just he rocked. He fucking kicked ass. He was the Drake. Um, I was gonna say he was the Drake of Jews, but Drake is already the Drake of Jews. So he was like. You know, this guy was like straight up the future of Jews. It's crazy. 
Uh, great service. You know, you see the family. Hupa. Uh, I feel like there's lots of the uh, and That's like a goofy sound. I, I can't even do it uh, without sounding. You know what I mean? Uh, there's just a lot of that, that like phlegmy H sound uh, going on at this. But it's just, it's great. It's beautiful. Uh, I think every person wanted to, every person who was not a, a Jew already wanted to um, convert after that ceremony it was just so well done and it was just like i said alex really she uh you know she put her whole uh juicy into that and she put the whole the juicy into that thing um ceremony was great uh it was a little little peeve that ryan got to deliver a piece of the ceremony i didn't uh but i did get to wear the yarmulke uh which was enough for me right because i was looking dapper as hell in that yarmulke bro i mean i was there you know what i mean um and then they break the glass and it's like oh mazel tov you know it's fucking kick ass um there's a cocktail hour you know where we go down and and it was sort of like (laughs) alex please don't hate me for this joke uh but you know we all sort of pile into the boxcar-esque um wine cellar beneath the venue um, which is very reminiscent of a classic Jewish tradition of being herded into a small area and forced to hang out there. Uh, but, <laughs> but I didn't mind because I was surrounded by people that I wanted to be with. Uh, but it was certainly a small little wine cellar, but it was just very touch of Italy-esque. Um, I felt like I was in Florence or Venice or wherever. I don't know. Uh, it was just a great place to be. Uh, I, it was cool. Uh, the temperature was cool. It was a little dark because that's where they keep the wine. So you have to keep it, you know, you have to keep it cool and dry um, and a little light uh, to not spoil the wine. Uh, there were big barrels that they were using as tables, which is kick ass because, you know, I'm a barrel guy. Um, and the food was was, you know, the hors d'oeuvres, if you will, uh, were certainly phenomenal. It was just it was a great experience. Um, and of course, Alex's mom was looking right. Uh, but anyway, uh, nonetheless, I digress. Um, we have dinner, we go upstairs, you know, we, we do all the, I'm not going to get into too much detail. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. I will say that, um, I have videos of them being lifted in in the chairs and doing the song. Um, and it was very, it it reminded me of wedding crashers, uh, in the best way possible. And I want my own wedding to be reminiscent of wedding crashers because that is one of my favorite movies. And I think it's one of the best written and best produced and, and just best acted films uh it's a great comedy it's it's, you know top 100 classic and seeing you know having the song play and and them being lifted in the chairs was very wedding crashers-esque it was great um you know had a great time had some great conversation did a lot of dancing surprisingly couldn't believe that um but i had probably about a dozen um (laughs) uh i don't even know what they were were they whiskey sours was well i can't even remember i think it was like a dozen whiskey sours or something like that um, or that's what it had to have been, dude. I'm trying to think. Um, or was it just a was it like a Jack and Coke? What was I even drinking? Um, but like I said, I probably had a, about a dozen mixed drinks. Um, I was just tearing up the open bar. I was, I was just, I was destroying it. You know what I mean? It was just, you know, take everything, leave nothing behind. Very Jack Sparrow esque. Um, they had to have been whiskey. Were they whiskey sours? I don't know. Whatever they were, um, or they might have just been, you know, whiskey and coke, dude. Like Maker's Mark and 
and Coke. But I, like I said, dude, I had like a dozen of them. I was cooked. I was toasted. I was grilled. I was sauteed. You know, I was served up, dude. I was sliced, diced. Um, I, I was just, I was in it. You know, I was in it. Uh, and it certainly added to the festivities. Um, it was a great time. And so the wedding was a lot of fun. The, you know, the reception was great. The food was delicious. Great conversation, great music, great dancing, all that stuff. Um, took some lovely photos with the girls. And I'm trying to think of if, if there was anything else really uh, of note. Um, I did get to hug Ryan uh, for the first time, which was very nice. Uh, she had to leave because Kenny Rogers had to go to Japan or something like that. I don't know. You know, he's like a writer for like a Japanese television series or something like that. Um, some, you know, I mean, certainly cooler and better than me, but whatever. Um, so Kenny Rogers had to go to Japan, so she had to go and uh, she gave me a hug and it was it was super nice. Um, and then we were going to Uber our way back. I think we were Ubering. Uh, no, we rode with we rode with someone. I think uh, was it Elaine? Maybe Elaine drove. I don't know. A anyway, the point is, uh, I think Elaine drove. Um, eventually, we had to leave the festivities and go back to the hotel for the after party, um, which is where the story really gets interesting, and it's probably where I'll, I'll cut it after we get done. Um, but another individual in the story that I failed to mention that I do think is of some significance is Alex's best friend from her hometown. Uh, right, All the worlds collide, right? That's something you have to consider when you get married or when you have a kid or, or, or whatever. Whenever you have like a big celebratory shit, um, your worlds collide. You know, it's just like in, in Seinfeld, you got your your home, you know, your public school, hometown friends, you got your college friend, your high school friends, your college friends, your law school friends, your work friends. You got all these worlds colliding. Plus, you have your family and extended family. So literally every, you know, all these people know you in different capacities to different degrees, and they all sort of collide. Uh, and then it's always funny when you it's funny for me. Because ultimately, I realize that I know a lot of these people more intimately than the other people that are like the other versions of me, right? Again, this is, I always go back to the bizarro Jerry into that episode, um, <laughs> uh, which I love that episode of Seinfeld where there's like the alternate versions of the gang. Um, it's also my favorite episode because Kramer goes to work. But, you know, you sort of meet like your counterpart or your contemporary at that time period in their life. Um, like one, the other version of me in Alex's college life, uh, appears to be her ex-boyfriend who is one of her best friends. Who's always at all of these events. Um, and for some reason his name is escaping me because I only write down the women's names. Uh, but, uh, I'll, I'll think of it, uh, eventually. Uh, but you know, the alternate version of me in that timeline is, someone that she had dated and then they remained best friends. Um, God, it's, it's going to kill me that I don't remember this guy's name, uh, but I'll get over it. Uh, you know, I'll survive because uh, we got Kenny Rogers. Uh, you know, so you sort of meet your contemporary, your counterpart in that timeline where that version of your friend, that was their, that was their person in that time period. And then the best part about me being me, which I never thought I would ever say those words in a sentence is I am the I am the contemporary, right? It, you know, I am the numero uno. I am the prime rib. I am the current 
what's hot. You know what I mean? I'm the hot 100. Um, and so I am the current version of me in this timeline. And, you know, the other versions are the past versions of me in that timeline. And they look at me and say, well, that's the, the new version of them. Right. You get what I'm saying? Um, so I am the current version. I'm currently what's hot, but I get to meet and enjoy and fall in love with and befriend and come together with the version of my friend that has experienced all the other versions of themselves and all the other versions of their friends. So, you know, you see someone's high school best friend and tip, I mean, maybe they stay in touch and maybe they know each other pretty well, but usually they only know everything about your friend from high school or from public school or from home, from the hometown. You know what I mean? Their knowledge of your best friend is limited to up to the high school graduation or the summer after high school. And then after that, it's kind of, you know, things they pick up on social media or if they, you know, catch up, you know, a few times a year or if they see each other out in the street or whatever, you know what I mean? So they know someone really intimately at a certain part in their life. Um, And then the same goes for college, right? Your college best friend is someone who knows you really intimately Typically, not even all four years, because you usually don't meet your college best friend until like your sophomore or junior year in college when you finally know what's up, unless you're lucky, right? Or unless you buy your friends, I guess, um, which is not a slight at anyone. But, you know, your college best friend doesn't know the high school version of you. Uh, they meet the new version of you that has evolved, and they know that version of you, the college version of you, intimately. Uh, and then obviously, you graduate from college, you go off and you do shit, and maybe you're a little bit closer than your high school friend. And maybe it's more the recency bias so that you do catch up more. But also these people aren't from your hometown. So it's a little bit more difficult to actually see them in person than it is to see your high school best friend because these people could be from anywhere in the world. Um, So that's a little different. And then you go to law school and then you're sort of you're really in the trenches in law school. And this is the same for grad school or, or med school or anything is you get the version of them that has been in public school that has been in high school that has been in college and is now in law school. So you get all of those versions, maybe not as intimately in some parts as the other people that were actually there. And then you're building that new identity with them. But also in law school, you're like suffering together, right? You're in like personal hell together for years. And that really, you know, you, you get to know a person really well, really intimately in the trenches, right? That's what they always say about war is that you might know someone for, you know, a few months, but you know them better than anyone else ever will because you've seen them in the rut. You've seen them in the mud. You've seen them, you know, like I said, in the trenches suffering, uh, trying to survive. And when you're in that constant fight or flight for three years, you really see the true nature of someone's soul. Um, And so when you meet someone like that, you know, you, you build a different friendship. Also, you're adults, you have money, you can make decisions about how you spend your time, shit like that. And also you're in a place where at that point you're there because you all have the same or shared interests, right? You have to go to high school with all types of people. You end up going to college with all types of people. But when you go to law school, you go to law school with people that want to be lawyers or that are interested in the law. So you have some sort of general connection already. Then you finish law school. And then we were in that, in that odd situation where we couldn't really start our lives because we had failed the bar and we were in the pandemic. And so we were kind of stuck with each other in that continued drawn out law school experience. 
that certainly if we were in fight or flight in law school, finishing law school and taking the bar and being unemployed during the global pandemic certainly increased that fight or flight response to where our connections were even more raw and even more animalistic and even more, you know, primal and primordial uh, and that reptilian part of our brains where now our connections are like, you know, we're like welded together in blood. Um, and so like I see the other versions of me and I see other friends from different time periods and I think, yeah, they may be really close and they may have a lot in common or a lot of shared experiences, but they only got them for four years, 10 years ago or four years, you know, six years ago or whatever. And I've had, I've gotten to meet this person after they've developed through all of those things. So I get the complete version and then I'm building the current version because I'm the current me in this situation. Now, if I ever get replaced or displaced, uh, one, Alex, fuck you in advance for ever doing that. Uh, love you to death. Uh, which I don't see that happening, but if I ever do get replaced or displaced, there'll be a version that gets the version of Alex or the version of anyone post Lance and not to toot my own horn, but the post Lance version of people is a very special version and they should really appreciate that. I can say that specifically about Medusa, the one who stole me away. The post Lance version is the perfect version of that person. Um, even though I'm selfish and, you know, want the other version back. Um, but I'll never get that back, but that's okay. So the Katie is Alex's best friend from, I believe from high school, from the hometown. And she is, she's a lot like Elaine. She's the past version of Elaine or Elaine is the current version of Katie. However you want to word that. Um, and I find her to be very attractive. I think that she's very beautiful little awkward, little goofy, little quirky, uh, nothing wrong with that. But I do think that she is, you know, I, you know, wood, I guess it, it, the meme that you always see online at just wood, uh, or smash, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that Katie is very sexually attractive. I think she's a lovely woman that I would certainly not mind to have an intimate physical relationship with. Um, but she certainly does not seem interested. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. Right. You know, different strokes for different folks. Um, but she ended up riding with us back to the hotel, uh, and she didn't really seem to jive. I was going to say vibe, but she didn't really seem to jive, uh, with the epic mood that we were all in. Um, because I, not that I peer pressured Kyle and Matt to participate. Uh, but you know, we were, we were vibing on those Baker's dozen, um, you know, Whiskey and Cokes. You know, I was going to say Jack and Cokes just because that's the easiest way. Um, they really do have that market sealed. You know, a baker's dozen Jack and Cokes, you know, you're vibing. Um, and she just was not really riding the wave that we were riding at that time. And that's okay. So it was a little disappointing because she was on my list of people that I would have liked to have developed a, a closer friendship or a better relationship with. Um, and also someone that I would be interested in pursuing, a, like I said, a physical relationship with, but she was not interested and that's all right. You know, like I said, um, so we get back to the, to the hotel, um, and we have a, what I thought was going to be an after party in one of the rooms ended up being an after party in the hotel lobby, right? Like hotel motel holiday in, uh, I was also, I was going to quote, um, a, a song by a particular artist that is canceled. Um, you know, taking the party to the hotel lobby, 
Uh, but you know, give me that two, two, give me that beat, beat, but I'm not going to do that. Um, and it, like I said, it's the crew. There are people that Alex has gone to college with people that she's going to law school with people that she's worked with, um, all hanging out. And it's a great group. Um, and we're there with Mark is there as well, who was Eric's best man. It's his best friend. A uh, really great guy, really interesting guy. Um, very handsome. Uh, and I think that he's, handsome and i also think that he's conventionally attractive in terms of his personality and his presence his masculinity i think is attractive um but anyway i'm not gonna get into uh into all that uh but you know i'm sitting there talking to these people and like i said i'm tr- I'm coming down i think kind of from the buzz uh <laughs> i'm coming down other people are coming up uh it seems other people who maybe they were drinking at the wedding did not get as I don't want to say sloshed because I was still pretty put together because I'm a big guy right like my my um, tolerance for alcohol is higher than most simply because my BMI is higher than most uh, so I can handle my also I got that the Kentucky in me you know what I mean I got that Kentucky in, in me um, you know my blood is bourbon and so uh, I should get that checked out but you know some people I'm coming down some people are coming up and we get into this situation where okay i finally had the opportunity to talk to megan uh get to know her a little bit better and sort of i don't want to say lay down the mac uh but you know sort of spit game you know run game if you will uh to try to you know obviously respect the state that she's in at that time uh but just you know lay the foundation for because you know i'm gonna be honest here as much as i i talk and joke about you know, having phys- intimate physical relationships with these people. Um, that is not a priority of mine and I'm not going to get into too much of the details as to why that is. Uh, but you know, I, I've gone a long time. Well, now I can't really say that because of my recent scenario, recent situation. But I've, at that point I had gone a long time without that particular form of physical intimacy. And I was okay with that lasting forever. Honestly, like that's not what I'm after. Uh, even now, having received that particular form of physical intimacy very recently, uh, too recently, uh, <laughs> I can still tell you that I, that's not what I'm after, right? That's not sex is not the end goal or the end game. Um, forever is the end game, certainly. And even then, I, if it's forever, there is no end. So you get the picture, though, right? I'm, I'm not really interested. Sex is not a, a it may be a interest or an, an interest, uh, but it's not my number one priority. Uh, love is my priority. So, you know, I'm really just trying to lay the foundation for an actual romantic engagement rather than any sort of just physical, you know, one night stand, hit it and quit it. You know, like, oh, this was a good hookup, a fun hookup at this wedding. No, like, I, you know, I'm serious. Like, if I meet this woman and I hit it off, I want it to be something that develops, not just a, hey, we had a great time at Alex's wedding. That was cool. Um, and that's what I was trying to do, right? Was, was build this, this connection with this person, um, who, as I said before, is, you know, devilishly beautiful, truly, you know, a a sight uh, to behold. Um, but you know, great personality, really sweet. Um, I'm not going to put all of her business out there and, you know, she doesn't need a feature in this particular article, but just to say that, you know, I was really, I was really infatuated with Megan and I was really engrossed with Megan. And I was really just, I fall in love easily. You know what I mean? I, not that I was in love with her. 
Uh, but I do. I fall in love easily. I fall in love with every with every woman that I meet, um, and I can find. I, I think one of my best qualities, and something that a lot of people that really know me intimately, uh, and that I've been in this life with for a long time, one of the, my best qualities, and something that people really respect and admire and sort of revere in me is that I can find a reason to love anyone, right? It's not that I fall in love easily, which is true, but I can find that diamond in the rough. I can find that reason, you know, that that light in the darkness. I can find that pearl in the pile of shit. Um, I can find a reason to love anyone. And, you know, no matter what, there there is there is good in people, um, but also you know, I, for some reason, can really pinpoint and hone in on something that is valuable and worth, and worth loving, and it's, it was easy, or easier with Megan, because there's a lot to love, and there's a lot to, to admire, and adore, and cherish, and treasure, and she just, you know, she, she's all that, Uh, she's all that, Um, and I I felt very fortunate to be in her presence uh, physically, and you know, mentally and spiritually as well. Um, and she still, I still, you know, think about her occasionally. So, you know, I'm just, I'm talking to her about my life and about things I've been through and, and trying to find that common ground. Uh, I always say that I can't, I don't have game. I don't have what we call Riz. I always say that there is no such thing as the Lance Riz, uh, but there is, right? There is. I mean, there's no way that there's not considering all of the all of my life experiences all my past experiences the things i've been through the people that i've been through um the people that i've loved and lost there's no way that the lance riz does not exist it just it needs to be unlocked you know what i mean and um well even though some people would say that it's always on and that's a problem uh i believe that needs to be unlocked and so you know talking to her and, and trying to build that connection and that's ultimately what it is right the way that you talk to women is the same way that you talk to anyone just with respect and genuine genuine respect and genuine interest and if they vibe with that they're always going to appreciate the respect right everyone is going to appreciate genuine respect but if they appreciate if they recognize well they have to recognize it recognize and appreciate the genuine interest if they appreciate it, they will reciprocate it, and that's how you you go from there, basically. That's how Riz starts, right? Um, you respect someone, and you show interest in them genuinely, not with any sort of, you know, ulterior motives or any sort of, you know, malice or forethought or anything like that. You don't go in with a guilty mind. You go in with an open heart. Um, and then if it, you know, if it plays out, it plays out. And that's how I felt that it was going with Megan was, you know, we had a lot in common. We had a lot of shared interests. Uh, we had, I felt a good chemistry. We were talking, uh, going back and forth. It, you know, we were very interested in one another and what each other had to say and what each other had to share. What Not only what we were willing to share with each other, but what we wanted to share with each other, right? It, the more that we talked, the more there were things that we were pulling out of ourselves that we wanted to share with one another. Um just a lot of, you know, interest. We had a lot of shared experiences too. I mean, she has a very different background than me. Um, but the shared experiences with the shared interest, it, it just seemed like there was a lot of good chemistry, you know, certainly. Um, 
I still would like to take her to Kentucky one day, and I'd still like to take her on the to the Bourbon Trail one day, and I'd still like to show her that side of me, but that that side of Appalachia as well. Um, and I'd like to go to to South Carolina with her to Myrtle Beach, um, and to Charleston, and, and you know the connection that she has down there and the connection that I have down there. Um, but I really would like to take her to the to the hills and to the mountains, uh, to the hollers of Kentucky and, and show her that lifestyle. Um, and I'd like for her to show me the city, you know, and, and what that's like. Um, you know, we, we spend hours talking, um, talking about, you know, uh, the things that I always talk about. So life and love and law and whiskey and the beach. You know what I mean? Like that's pretty much. Uh, you know, law, whiskey, and the beach are pretty much how I would describe myself. And so we talk about those things, and she talks about her family, and she talks about her upbringing, and she talks about the traditions that she has in her family, and she talks about the connections that she has to New York and to South Carolina and to Virginia, and that's where we find common ground and things to discuss and things, you know, those shared interests and then things that we want to not exploit, but to develop and explore. Um, and it felt like there was a lot of potential exploration in that budding relationship. Um, but ultimately, we had to go our separate ways. It was late. You know, I was tired. She was a little bit drunk. Um, and we split up. And that was the last time that I saw her. Um, but I, you know, texted uh, Alex and it was like, hey, like this felt great. Uh, this, you know, this was the real shit that I needed. And I was really, I missed this and I was looking forward to this. Um, and she was like, yeah, you know, you know, she was talking, um, to Clarissa in the restroom. Sorry, my phone was doing a thing. She was talking to Clarissa, uh, you know, about you. And she was talking to me about you. And, you know, it seemed like she really likes you. And she said that she really likes you. And I was like, bro, if she said that she really likes me and I'm saying that I really liked her, then bing, bang, boom. You know what I mean? Like, let's knock this bad boy out. Um, let's, you know, make it happen, captain. Um, and ultimately nothing came of it. And I think that the next day I, I messaged her, I'm starting to Alex about her that night. And then the next day, um, and about how, how much I enjoyed her and how great of a time I had. And I think I messaged her like, hey, like, I hope you got back to New York safely or something like that. And she never read the message. And she still, that's what I was checking. Um, just to be, I'm going to check right now just to be sure I can give you the live update, right? Because it's Wednesday, May 3rd. It's about 9.52 p.m. I sent this message on January 16th. So it's May 3rd. It's May 3rd at about 10 o'clock. I sent this message on January 16th at 5.15 p.m. I said, hey exclamation point hey i hope that you made it home safely it was truly lovely to meet you uh she's active right now by the way uh but anyway i sent that message january 16th 5 about 5 20 p.m hey hope you made it home safely it was truly lovely to meet you and she never read the message um and therefore she never replied obviously um that sort of merges into one another right if you don't read it you're not replying um and it's sort of like, where were you on January 16th? Because uh, obviously I was in my box uh, and I still am, of course. But that's how that went. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's certainly um, freaking these videos keep popping up. Uh, certainly uh, upsetting. But 
that's life, dude, you know, and, and you can't win them all. You can't win any, I guess, as I used to say, uh, but I've started winning a few, but you know, that's pretty much how that went. Um, I would certainly love to see her again. Uh, I doubt that I ever will unless Alex, you know, has like a baby shower that somehow I'm invited to and she's invited to, uh, in which case it'll be one of those awkward, uh, Ellen esque situations, um, where I've shown, you know, I've shown romantic interest in the past and then nothing came out of it and it was ignored. And then you have to see this person, uh, again <laughs> and you do, you know, like, do you act like it never happened? How do you handle that sort of situation? Uh, those, that's a very Lance-esque situation. Uh, but I, I don't mind it. I'm used to it at this point in my life, of course. But yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, we went our separate ways. I did have a lunch, a brunch, if you will, with Elaine and Matt at this diner that is very close to where Andrew Lato's family used to live. Um, I don't know if they still live there or not, but we drove by there. Um, God, when was that, dude? The summer of like 2018 when Kyle and Andrew took me to see Godsmack and Shinedown for my birthday in it was Camden uh, Camden New Jersey is where they took me but we went Kyle took me I went to Kyle's house um, met his family and then we drove to Andrew's house and driving between Kyle's house and Andrew's house there was this diner and I was like wow that seems like a cool place and then years later uh, I go there with Elaine and Matt, which is pretty cool uh, to have brunch. And then we went our separate ways and I went home, dude, take me home country roads uh, to the place where I belong. And that's, that's pretty much the, the Pooner wedding in a nutshell. Um, it's, I'm at an hour 45. So this will be probably one episode. Like I said, uh, I don't really plan on dragging it out, but you know, my thoughts, feelings, emotions on the whole thing, I guess it was a great time. And it was, you know, I'm in this weird part of my life where I always used to say that the greatest moments of my life were the greatest moments of the lives of the people that I love. Um, and so those, you know, when people ask me like, what was the greatest day of your life? What was the greatest moment of your life? I always say Alex Camacho's wedding, right? That's always, for some reason, that is my go-to answer. When people ask me, they're like, Lance, what was the greatest day of your life? I don't even know. They used to say, like, what's the happiest day of your life or what's the happiest moment of your life? And I always used to say Alex Camacho's wedding. Right. And then I because, you know, I was the I was the best man and I was the officiant. And it was such an intimate moment that is so integral and vital to our friendship. And it's so not just to our friendship, you know, it's not just vital and integral to us as a unit. But it's integral to us as individuals. It is such a huge moment in our lives individually uh, that it, it's just so significant and it, it just means the world to me, you know. And then so there's Alex's wedding, Alex's engagement, right? When Alex proposed to Kelsey in the Outer Banks and we were all there and we cracked open that bottle of the Jack Daniels single barrel barrel proof that I still have that I'm saving for Brian and Shelby's engagement like that is such an integral moment in my life. Uh, Elsie's wedding is a big one. You know, I officiated that wedding and that's having the whole family together and it keeps getting better because we've been through so much shit together that it keeps getting better and more valuable. So, you know, Elsie's wedding was important because of all that it was and it was in the Outer Banks and it was, you know, bookended by two Dave Matthews concerts, right? One when I was in the pit 
and Meriwether. And then when I went to see them in Virginia Beach on the way back from the Outer Banks. And that was the first time that Dave played Every Day for me after my father's passing. And that's my dad's song, right? Every Day 36. Uh, so it was the first time I heard Every Day since my dad passed. Um, that was such a, a huge moment in my life. Um, you know, Wayfan and Amy's wedding is such a big moment in my life. Um, my Josh and Jessica's wedding, my cousin Josh and his wife, or my cousin Justin and his wife, their wedding. You know, moments like that where I always say the greatest or most important or most significant or happiest moments of my life, whatever it is, are the happiest or most important moments of the lives of those that I love the most. But that's like almost too selfless, right? I need to be more selfish with my love. What is the happiest moment of my life? Not the happiest moment of someone else's life that I love and care about that I was there for. And, you know, that's why I feel like bad about that because I, I need to be more selfish and like, you know, the happiest moment of my life is, you know, was honestly probably going to SPAC uh, <laughs> and seeing Dave perform uh, this past year and performing the numbers, right? He performed all the numbers and he performed two-step and he performed every day and he performed walk around the moon uh, and he performed break free. And that reminds me of V and the poison dream and all that good stuff, you know, like that ultimately like seeing Dave in, at SPAC for my birth, for my 27th birthday was probably the happiest moment of my life. Um, and going to the beach, uh, going to the Outer Banks all these times are, is probably up there as well. Passing the bar, of course, getting this job, my first trial victory, beating, uh, you know, the deputy state's attorney at trial. Those are probably the happiest moments of my life. Um, but I never say those because I feel like it's selfish because I, I feed off of the joy and feelings of others. And so when I say this, you know, Alex Pooner's wedding, now Alex Lepushner. Um, Alex and Eric's Alex and Eric's wedding is certainly one of the greatest moments of my life, whether it's the happiest, whether it's the most important, whether it's the most significant, whatever it is, it's certainly one of the most. It, there is certainly a superlative in there where the Pooner Lepushner wedding is some sort of superlative of one of the greatest moments of my life. It's not the greatest moment of my life might be the greatest moment of their lives, but it is one of the greatest moments of my life. And it's something that when I die or when I am dying, um, as if I'm not already and the, you know, my life flashes before my eyes, I want to see Megan's face. You know what I mean? And I, I mean that sincerely in that, you know, I look at this wedding and I say, I need to be more selfish with my love and I need to be more selfish with my happiness because I'm so used, I, I don't have boundaries. I'm just an open, the floodgates are always open and I'm just letting this love flow in and out. But I truly do mean it when I say that this wedding, you know, seeing Alex get married, seeing one of my best friends get married is one of the most significant and one of the greatest moments of my life. And I'm glad to not only have experienced that, I certainly feel lucky to have Alex in my life because I love her more than anything. Um, I feel lucky to be able to put it on this show so that not only do I get to talk about it months later, even though it's kind of embarrassing to talk about the, you know, red, no reply, 
Uh, leaving someone on red is embarrassing, but I feel very fortunate to be able to share it on this show, one, for other people who might be interested, but also so I can have documentation that it happened, right? I can re- I have a recorded record, um, you know, recollection recorded of this event that is so important to me and so important to us that I don't have a wedding scrapbook and I don't have, I have photos from the wedding, certainly, and I have, you know, other memorabilia. I have this Dave Matthews CD, um, you know, the crowded streets, but now I have this recorded recollection of this event that I can look back on and say, Hey, you know, four months later, you know, almost four months after the wedding, this is what I thought was still important, or this is what stuck with me after four months. And now I'll never be able to forget it. Or if I do, I'll be able to look back and listen to this and say, Hey, this is what really stuck with Lance. And this was what really mattered to Lance um, at that time. And so, you know, I feel very fortunate to be able to turn that into an episode um, because I don't just live to make content. You know what I mean? Uh, I just live and then it becomes content somehow because my life is fucking insane. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much it, dude. That's, that's the Pooner LaPushner wedding right there. That's the first wedding of the three weddings in a funeral special. Um, the next episode that I want to do is going to cover Andrew Lato's wedding. Uh, I'll need to have a little bit more resources, but it should be a shorter episode just because there wasn't so much buildup, right? I wasn't edging my way through uh, the Lato wedding. Uh, but there is some stuff to talk about um, and my experiences with Kyle and Kelsey and then Jackie making an appearance, right? Jackie Alexander making an appearance, completing the uncivil proceduralist having the core group together for the first time in like two or three years, at least uh, more than that, maybe three, maybe four years. Now that I think about it, um, cause time has no meaning, right? Tomorrow's just another day. And I don't believe in time, but you know, having the uncivil proceduralist together, having the core four together um, was just amazing. And then the funeral aspect is, is the death of a close, a close friend's father and how that sort of has created this reflection in my mind, seeing myself in him. And then the four or the third wedding, which is the actual gender reveal, is the gender reveal of the baby that my cousin Josh and his wife Jessica will be having. And that story is not only going to tie in the gender reveal, you know, the relationship of Josh and Jessica and myself uh, and the the child. Um, I wish I can't think of the name right now for some reason uh, that they, that they pay. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, but also the trip down to Richmond, down to Virginia beach, and then my most recent love interest and how that failure has shaped me as a person moving forward. But I really want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in, you know, thank you to everyone who listened to this episode who has listened to any of the episodes of Late Nights with Lance. Thank you to the people who have waited patiently for something new uh, for me to offer. Uh, I hope that I didn't disappoint. I hope this was a good one. Uh, And I really appreciate you guys listening anytime, but certainly now after this extended break, um, I couldn't do this shit without you. And and I, you know, I miss doing this. Um, I always say that Late Nights with Lance came from a, a deep, dark place of suffering. And, you know, the bowels of my depression. And so to do Late Nights with Lance when I'm not 
I'm not going to say I'm not depressed because I'll always be right. Depression is like alcoholism. You're always going to have it. Uh, you're always going to be addicted to the sadness. Um, you know, but doing this show after overcoming the obstacles that put me in that deep, dark place, right? Having passed the bar, having gotten a job, having, I'm never going to be over Ivy, right? Cause I'll always love Ivy with every fiber of my being for some fucking reason. But moving on from Ivy and, and trying to love again and giving that love to different people and seeing, although it's they have failed, seeing that it's possible and that it, I can still, you know, get some satisfaction. You know, you can't always get what you want, but if you try some time, you just might find that you get what you need. And, you know, coming out of those things uh, to be where I am today, to being happy and to I don't think I'll ever be content, but, you know on the road to contentment um, or contentedness. Contentment is the word I'm looking for. Um, to be able to do this show in this physical space, but also in this headspace, in this emotional place of actually experiencing joy and happiness for the first time in years, it means a lot. And it means a lot that people are still listening and not just listening when I was like on, on you know, I don't want to say the word, but you know, on, on watch, let's just say a lot of the episodes that I delivered were while I was on a, a particular watch. Uh, and so to do it now when that's not a thought that really crosses my mind anymore, um, it means a lot. So I just want to thank everyone for listening in for tuning in. Uh, I love you all dearly. And, and I mean that, uh, and to all my new listeners, um, I appreciate you as well. And hopefully to my newest listener, um, I'll see you. See you tomorrow. Uh, so this has been, oh, my recommendation. I do want to make a rec, uh, cause I copied that from Rhett and Link. Let me pull up my music app. So there's a song by Coldplay called Green Eyes, right? And I have green eyes for those who don't have never seen my face. I have green eyes, but there's a song by Coldplay called Green Eyes and it's a love song. It's, it's just amazing. It's so well-written. It's a classic. And there's a cover that Vance Joy does. Uh, and it's a live performance at some beautiful venue. It looks like it's in Greece or Italy or somewhere that's not the United States. Right? It's somewhere better than the United States. Uh, so I recommend going on YouTube and looking up uh, Vance Joy cover of Green Eyes. But my recommendation is the Wesley Schultz version. So Wesley Schultz is the Lumineers, right? He's the lead singer of the Lumineers. And he does a version on a solo album uh, of Green Eyes. And it is not as beautiful as Vance Joy's, but it is more beautiful than Coldplay's. And so Green Eyes, Wesley Schultz, uh, the, the Vance Joy version, if you can, that's my recommendation. But this, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this has been yet another humble episode of Late Nights with Lance, Winchester's and Hagerstown's favorite late night talk show. Peace. I'm out of here.